Why don't we go to the Lord in, in prayer? Gracious Father, we are thankful that we have been chosen um, by you to belong to your kingdom, to belong to your family. We are thankful, Lord, that uh, we realize that we are made brothers and sisters with Christ as our elder brother. And we are grateful, Lord, that we have the forgiveness uh, of sins through Christ. We pray, Father, that this discussion, this um, topic of formative training of children, of how we might be able to take uh, your gifts to us and honor you with how we, we raise them, with how we teach them, with how we discipline them. Lord, would you please allow the words of my mouth and let the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Uh, I pray that this conversation would be edifying and glorifying and very pleasing to you, Father. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 So for those of you, uh, again, who, who uh, are coming here, we're talking about today and next week on a back-to-back -to -back topic. This week, it's going to be on the topic of formative training of children. Uh, next week, uh, Brother Cody Montgomery, who's here with us today, is going to be leading the discussion on formative discipline. Um, and, and that is the, and I, I won't get into the definition of that yet, we'll, we'll discuss that in a few minutes, but I want to um, take some time to discuss and ask you all, what do you think is the difference between formative training of children versus the formative discipline of children? I'll be honest with you, when I first saw this topic, I wasn't as familiar with formative training versus formative discipline. I was surprised by what I discovered, um, but I'm curious if anyone has an idea. You can give a definition of formative training if you want, or of discipline, or if you want to try to be really brave and contrast both, I will accept those two. Johan? Well, it's in my term for like training versus discipline is like positive versus negative reinforcement. Hmm. Uh, like training sounds like to me it comes to mind like oh this is how you like build someone up and discipline is more like a hey don't do that yeah you get disciplined I guess yes yeah <laughs> that's kind of how I think about the two but I don't know if that's what you're going for I think there is some truth to the positive aspect and the negative aspect um, yes and I was just saying and you may completely convince me by the end of this class differently but when I first hear those words I don't separate the two. Like I think they, they have to go hand in hand together. Like I think discipline should be training and training sometimes involves discipline. I don't know. But I guess you want the difference. No, no, I think you're I think there is obviously some truth to that because there an argument can be made that formative training includes discipline, right? Um yes. I, I would agree with that I use it synonymously, but are you getting that formative would be the development or the insertion of principles and ways to act and discipline would be like maybe the cementing it or, or solidifying it? Would form formative training be the introduction? Would discipline be the continuation and solidification of Yeah. Yes. I don't know. I think that's a re really helpful way to 
look at that actually. I think that there is an aspect that when you instruct a child in the way that he should go and when he departs from it, that that discipline helps correct him back on that, that path. So I think there is, that is a very helpful comment actually, I think, to look at that. Um, yes, sir. I was going to say one is the first would be <coughs> proactive, so training would be proactive ahead of a particular act of the child, and then discipline would be a result of the, you know, deviating from that. Yeah, yeah. Rusty? Um, uh, maybe a little idea of, like, training giving the content of, of, like, what you should be and who you should be, and mm. discipline giving the steadfastness of maintaining that. Yeah. No, that's helpful too. I think uh, I, there's definitely some common themes circulating here, and I think those are helpful ways to think about it. Um, let me try to define some of these terms, and I, I'm going to steer clear of Cody's topic because I want him to be able to speak to those more clearly. But um, formative discipline, in my estimation, includes a loving punishment, rebuke, and correction in the Lord. Um, let me say that again. Formative discipline includes the loving punishment rebuke and correction in the Lord. And when I say in the Lord, I mean that it is done in a way that is with the aim, not out of frustration, not out of anger, but rather out of producing holiness and producing a delight in the love of God, right? So it's a certain type of discipline that aims to, to cultivate a awe in a love for God the Father, right? So it, let's turn real quick to uh, Hebrews 12, 5 through 7. And if you don't have it, I have some handouts over there. You're welcome to take one if you'd like, if you haven't gotten one already. Um, but Hebrews 12, 5 through 7. And can I get somebody to read that, please? Hebrews 12, 5 through 7. Mr. Robin, thank you. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Hmm. Thank you, Ben. So you see here that, that when we become children of God, God takes his discipline seriously and that he actually, every child of God, every believer who comes to know Christ is going to experience discipline. It's part of being a child of God. And in the same vein, uh, and we see here that it is, it is loving. It is, it's the same thing I mentioned earlier. It's, it's done in an aim to produce holiness and to produce a love for God. And this is what the Lord chastises us when we step off the path. And so our discipline of children should mirror that of which God himself gives to us. And with that said, I am, I am not going to go any further into Cody's lane. That is, that is just an idea, working definition for you. Now let's go and take the next step into formative training. And I like what Johan said here. Formative training approaches the topic positively that mom and dad, and this is my definition of it, that mom and dad are primarily responsible for actively instructing and modeling a gospel-centered love for God. And this is done during the formative years. 
and, and by formative years, I mean those early years where a child is just beginning to be malleable, to learning, to being open, to understanding the things of God. Um, you know, it's no secret that as we get older, our heart, hearts become a little bit harder. Um, and, and so there's that time, those formative years, that is so key for us to be able to take advantage of in raising our kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Why do I say, go ahead. Sure. Here's your definition of training again. Training, sure, absolutely. Uh, it approaches the topic positively that mom and dad are primarily responsible. Remember those two words really quick. Primarily responsible for actively instructing and modeling a gospel-centered love for God. So why, prim- why do I say primarily responsible? Why not completely responsible? Eileen? Um, no child grows up only in their family. They're, they're part of a church. Yes. They're part of a community. So it's everybody's responsibility, not just the parents. Yeah. I'm just, model especially. Yeah. Anyone else? End of the day, they're in God's hands. They're in God's hands? We have, yeah, right. We have yeah. responsibility that we want to fulfill, absolutely. Yeah. I love the, what you both said there. I think that's exactly right. That in the covenant community of God's people, like it doesn't matter if you're single. It doesn't matter if you are married but without child at this time in your lives. You have a role to play, a ministry to play in the raising of God's children in this covenant community. Here we call it Delray Baptist. In this body, it doesn't mean that you're primarily responsible, but... Y- it is in the same vein uh, of discipleship, right? Uh, think of First and Second Timothy, Paul's relationship with Timothy, and that he wasn't Timothy's father, but Timothy knew the scriptures from early on in childhood, and Paul saw his growth as a young man and mentored and developed him. And so it's the same idea of being a discipler of others in our church. So I say that. Um, because I came out of a family that wasn't godly. I came out of a family that nobody in my family, except my uncle, knew the Lord. And so he took it upon himself to mentor me and to, to preach the gospel to me as a young child. I still remember those conversations, matter of fact. And you can have the same impact on those people in the church today who don't know Christ, but belong to another family. And I encourage you to think about ways that you can do that. Um, so this this whole conversation applies to you as well. Uh, I think of one other thing. Do you know Uncle Peter? Uncle Peter is my wife's brother. Uncle Peter just got married. He doesn't have any kids. But when we go and see him during Christmas or when we're having a, a holiday together, he is always with my kids. And I ask him, why do you spend so much time with my kids? Like, don't you want a break? It's exhausting. I have four and they have a lot of energy. Is that right? I'm very, I'm actually, I was telling them this earlier, Ben, I don't know if you were here, but like, I'm super nervous that my daughter's here because she's going to definitely call me out later. But I think that like, Uncle Peter told me, Grace, honestly, he told me that I want to do this because I want to train myself to know what it's like to be a godly dad. And so take advantage of those opportunities. Do this with the children here in the congregation. Um, so now that we have working definitions, I'd like to ask, what are some of the current challenges that those of us who are parents or that those of us who aspire to be parents, 
What, what are the challenges that we as Christian parents or soon-to-be Christian parents or hope-to-be Christian parents face today with raising our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord? What are some obstacles that are there today? Yes? They live in the world, and the world gives completely opposite um, directions to your kids than you do. Hmm. They value the wrong things, they model the wrong things. Am I right? I think so. And any others? That's a good. I think building off on you, I think it's hard when you are in a different culture that's speaking about a different truth than what you actually believe. Hmm. There's like other truths that are truths, like not real truths, but things that are being said as absolute, like when it comes to like gender and sexuality, like yeah. that is like a really, I think, a heavy thing that kids are very early on like shown. Absolutely. That's a very relevant example. Rusty? Uh, just the fact that we're trying to teach kids from an imperfect model. Like we don't mm. do a great job ourselves. Yeah. That's right. Especially with, we're not even addressing the fact that they come into this world with a fallen sinful nature to fallen sinful parents. I mean, that's one of itself right there. Yes? I was going to say that. And what's your name? Mark. Mark. Okay, Mark. I Hmm. And so, to the extent that we are supposed to be disciples, you know, I think it's important what you said about modeling. Like, we need to have people model Jesus for us. We need to be disciples so we can disciple our children. Yeah. So, I think a lot of times, just in general, many of us come into parenting, I mean, not necessarily the disciples, in a way that would lead us to good parenting. Yeah. Let me ask a rhetorical question. Is it fair to say that in this present darkness, there is a war going on for the hearts and minds of your children. Is it fair to say that? And so I would say, how is it that we as Christian parents can be thoughtful in providing shade for our children? How can we provide shade for our children in such a way that we prepare them to know the truth of God's word in a way that when they are encountered with the influences of the world, that they are able to fight those thoughts and to replace them with God's word and his truth. So I want us to think in that, in that vein, um, you know, because I, I, I would say and argue that we as Christian parents have the responsibility to, to, to do this. And, and, you know, there's an old Chinese proverb that says, one generation plants the trees so that the next generation has the shade. And so as Christian parents, we have the responsibility to plant the trees of godly instruction, a godly heritage, in the hope that God grows it, not us, but that God grows it into the shade of the next generation. Our ultimate goal as Christian parents is not to have well-produced or well-mannered productive citizens for the society. That is a great thing. I hope that all of our children do that someday, but that is not our aim. Our aim is to prayerfully and humbly raise our children so that they may someday know Christ. That, my friends, is the ultimate goal of Christian parenting. With that in mind, that leads me to my first main point. What I just gave there was the setting the stage, if you will. I, I could give you a list of 10 different activities that you should be doing in your home to help your children know the Lord. 
but I feel like there's deeper foundational atmospheric issues that need addressed that provide the foundation for you to be able to effectively use things like catechism or um, family worship or other things that really will be the, the vehicles of, of transmitting wisdom and knowledge to your children. There are foundational underpinnings that we will discuss today that will help you in your endeavor to actually have those things really touch the minds and hearts of your children, right? So, so just bear with me here. I, was, I picked this topic months ago because I, I wanted to learn about how I could be a better dad. And I, I don't stand here in front of you and pretend like I have all the answers, but I, ha I can tell you that I was very surprised and encouraged and convicted by what I learned in this, in this study. The one thing that really stood out to me is the most important thing you, mom, or you, dad, can do in raising godly children is to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Let me say that again. The number one thing that you can do for your child to raise godly children is for you yourself, mom, or you yourself, dad, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. You can't impart what you do not possess. You can't give your children a holy fervor for the Lord, a delight in God, if you yourself don't have a delight in God. And so, please turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is going to be our main text for today. You, we are going to be in the presence of, a, of several verses of Scripture that are some of the most weighty and important in Scripture. Deuteronomy 6. Let's read verses 1 through 9. Can I get someone to volunteer to read verses 1 through 9? Sam? Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach to you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it, may, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall walk of them, and shall talk of them, when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Hmm. Thank you. So we see here. This is the. This is one of the most important passages. It's almost as like this is we are on very sacred ground. Not every verse in Scripture is sacred ground, but this is a weighty passage of Scripture. Jesus identifies it as, in, in this passage, the greatest command lies within this passage. Um, and the, the idea here, if you look in, in verse, um, verse 4, 
or I'm sorry, verse 5, loving the Lord your God. The, the Hebrew word there, just for, for some context, doesn't just mean love, but it, it gives a, a sense of love with desire or hunger for. And, and the idea of loving God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and all of your soul, the idea there is that every bit of it, every bit of who you are, desires, hungers, loves God. Do you love God that way today? Not in the sense that we're perfectly going to ever love God. We, we, we are imperfect beings. I get that. Every single one of us falls short of this every day. But I ask you, are you, are you striving to delight and love God with all of your being? In other words, a good contra juxtaposition to this is the idea of don't be like Ananias and Sapphira, who held back a, a, a portion of their heart to God. Are you holding back a part of your heart from God today? If so, is that, how does that hinder your walk with God in such a way that it hinders your love for your children and your wife or your husband? And so I, I pray that, you're, that you would be honestly considering with the Lord, if asking him, Lord, open bear my heart. Is there anything that I love more than you? And, and may, Lord, we be like Moses who, after meeting with you on Mount Sinai, that we would return to our children with our faces shining. That we would actually come from meeting with God in the secret place and that our children would see that passion, that love for God. Um, one of the things about this I will also point out is when we look at verse 5, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. Like, the, the idea of heart, soul, and might, the main point there is that God wants, it's with your whole entire being. And then if you look over in verse 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, we are to meditate on these, these truths. We are to saturate our thinking and our hearts with God's word. And, and that's when, when we have God's word saturated in our hearts, when we actually love the Lord and it's a delight to love him, that that's when, when we are walking with our children or getting up in the morning or walking along the way or actually going to bed at night, that we find ourselves naturally talking and sharing with our children about the Lord. Right? You, it is, you know, it's, it's like this. If I were to go... Uh, to the flower shop and buy some roses for my wife and I bring those roses to her and I say Hannah here's some flowers for you oh they're beautiful Dave thank you so much well I had to here you go how would that go not great right so let's rewind that a bit and let's try this again <clears throat> I go to the store I buy beautiful flowers because I I love my wife I cherish my wife and I go to her and I say, hey, honey, I bought you these flowers. Why did you do that? Because there is no other person that I would want to be with or to give these flowers to than you. She wouldn't say to me, well, you're just, it's always about you, Dave. You're doing that because you had to do it for yourself. No, she wouldn't say that to me because she is hearing that I delight in her and that I, I ch I'm cherishing her. Such is the same way that our relationship with God should be. 
God doesn't take delight in drudging obedience. He wants us to delight. And listen, do you think that your children do not tell the difference between delight and duty? Do you honestly think that your children cannot tell the difference between drudging obedience out of rote necessity or out of delight? Let's turn really quick um, to a, a, a secondary passage in this vein. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Mark 12, 28 through 34. This is just to kind of provide a little bit more context to this passage in Deuteronomy 6. Can I get somebody to volunteer to read that, please? Uh, Matt, go ahead. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. Hmm. And to love him with all your heart, and with all, your, all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all who burnt all trees and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him anymore. Hmm. Praise God. Let me, let me turn this around on all of you. In what ways, from these two passages, would loving and delighting in God, loving him with your whole heart, soul, and mind, how would that affect your parenting of your children? Or if you're not a parent yet, how do you envision that would help you to, to parent your children the right way? Any thoughts on that? In terms of focus to glorifying God and not ourselves. Yeah. So many times parents want their children to be a reflection of them. Mm. Yeah, that's right. So instead, children then are a reflection of God in our actions and how we train them. That's right. And discipline them. Mm. That's a very good point. Uh, what are we reflecting right now to our children today? Is it Christ's image? Um, what other ways do you see how loving and delighting in God would affect how you parent? Yeah? yeah. I think being truly satisfied in the Lord, mm. delighting and loving Him means that you, know, you have nothing to lose in parenting your children, or at least in the sense that like, no matter how they treat you in the moment, you'll always, always, always be concerned that they're good. You know, and of course, you'll, you'll stumble and you're, you'll struggle, but if your trajectory is trusting in God, delighting in Him, loving Him more than anything, yeah. that's the most valuable thing to yeah. me, yep. then I will be ready to treat my children whatever way is truly best to help them see Christ and walk with Him. Yeah. And what benefits them, not just what you know meets out my frustration. Sure. Or, or what like puts them in their place when I'm angry frustrated or keeps them from annoying me or takes the least effort. Hmm. It'll be whatever is truly love. Yeah. Because like the Lord is worth every cost and the Lord 
it's worth giving them is worth every cost. That's right. I love that answer, Zach. I really love that answer. You, you kind of went right ahead of where I'm going with this, and, and my, my, my take on this passage is that fathers, mothers, God is most glorified by you when you are most satisfied in Him. That's a line direct from John Piper's Christian Hedonism. That God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. And your children have a front row seat to your life. They see the different arenas in your life. They see your personal quiet time in the morning at the house under your roof. They see you at church. They see you in the worship hour. Um, and so they're watching you. And, and a couple of verses that I would point to to really kind of highlight this idea of delighting in God is Psalm 34, or 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. The idea there that, that when our hearts become aligned with God's heart, we find our delight in Him, and, and our will and what we desire becomes in line with what He desires. Psalm 16.11, In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures evermore. To be in God's presence is where our joy is complete. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Do you ex exemplify joy? Does, do your children see the joy of the Lord? And we don't, nobody does this perfectly, right? Thank God that He is gracious. And, and, and nobody is a parent like they should be. The only reason why any of our children should come to know Christ is because of the good hand of God being upon them. I came from a family that was abusive, physically, verbally, abused drugs, and I had no influence of Christ-likeness in my life except for my one uncle who I saw on a semi-infrequent basis. And so if God can save me, surely there is hope for all of us, right? Thank God that your mistakes don't prohibit and keep your children out of the kingdom. There is mercy. There is grace with God. Praise God that you can relieve yourself of the burden of potentially not seeing your children come to Christ. Now, if we make mistakes, should we repent of those? Of course. We should humbly go before the Lord, ask for forgiveness, confess those sins. But at the same time, we should be very hesitant to judge our parenting. Um, the Lord is ultimately in charge. I pray that that's a gracious word and reminder to you. Um, so, moving. Yeah, go ahead. I, you should, but I would say, and I'm saying this in the context of when your children are grown, let's say, and they, they aren't Christians. The, the temptation is to guilt and shame that I am the reason why this child did not come to know the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that that is not, that there's no culpability for parents who sinfully do things to not exemplify Christ's likeness in the home. That should be confessed. But I'm saying that you aren't God. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You aren't the one who converts. That is the Holy Spirit's work through, through the gospel and through Christ who does that. There's a difference between what our responsibility is and what God, God can do alone. Any other questions about that? Dave, real quick. Yeah. So can you 
speak to when um, the light is not there, when maybe the darkness, <coughs> wearisome nature of parenting, maybe even in this culture, in this area, the busyness, the, hmm. that's just hard, it's difficult. Yeah. When the light, when energy is not there, when the lights are turned out. Yeah. How would you counsel you know, families and parents in, in that state? How would they would best uh, parent their children? I think that's a, that's a super great question. Um, because I'm in that boat. I recently finished up my internship. All the interns who, some of them are here and know how busy I have been in this season. Um, and I, and I told, I'll tell you the same thing I told them. Um, it's a daily fight to meet with God every single day. Amidst the busyness of life, it's a matter of keeping God king of your heart and making that time with him no matter how busy you get. Now, does that mean, in essence, that I am going to successfully do that on a daily basis? No. It doesn't mean that you are going to be successful every day in winning that battle. But my prayer is, and my counsel would be, I pray that you never lose the aspect of fighting for it and desiring it. Um, some of the things, and my daughter Grace can agree and, and, and confirm this, um, is that in the mornings when I get up for work, I will have my Bible open at the, at the breakfast table. My kids will get up and they'll ask me, the first thing you want to ask is what? Can, can you say a little louder? If they can watch a show. If they can watch a show. And what does sometimes daddy ask you to do with him? Yeah, so how about you join me at the table, get your Bible, and what did I just buy you all? A Bible, but also a, we went to the dollar store to get, notebook, yes, our Bible journals, and, and my five-year-old son has a Bible journal that's covered with dinosaurs, and he opens it up, and he's like, and he's trying to write Ephesians 6.1, and Ephesians 6.2, and they write the verse out, or I'll help my son write it, and then we talk about it, and it's something that I want to get them in the habit of doing. So in the midst of all that busyness, there are practical ways, little things I can try to do, moments I can find, little uh, a happenstance nexus where my daughter gets up and I get up, I'm sitting down, have my coffee, reading my Bible, come, let's have this little moment that I can take advantage of. And so I would encourage, look for those. God will bring those opportunities your way. Be on the lookout for those. But it means nothing if we don't desire and are cult not cultivating that personal piety. That would be my best answer. It is a daily fight, my brother. Um, um, so all that saying, the first and most important duty of a mom and dad is to genuinely fall in love with the Lord. Um, I would also say public and family worship God-centered worship in the home and at church is essential to raising our children. So the first one, underneath knowing and loving the Lord with all your heart, is your personal piety, your personal holiness. And then second, another one, is your worship of God. So, and, and I have to thank John Piper for a lot of what I'm about to say here, um, because I really feel that he nails this well. Um, his, his thought, just briefly, is, is that when we bring our children. There's, I know that we have, I have a, a five-year-old, I have a, a three-year-old. Having them in the congregation during worship hour is a challenge. It is. 
not all children are the same. Some are very difficult and can detract from our time focusing on the, on the word and the preaching of the word. But I would suggest, and I ask you to just consider this, to, to think about the opportunity you are presented with to have your child in the worship service with you for one hour out of 168, just one, where they actually witness and see mom radiant in her face, praising God, or dad, his hands in his face, praying in the prelude before the worship service. What is the cumulative effect of a child who after 670 Sunday mornings with mom and dad, seeing mom and dad worship God and delighting in God in the worship hour, what is the cumulative effect of that? And so I, for me as a parent, I'm just saying, I am hesitant to put my children in a location where they don't see that. That's just, that's just me. I'm not judging anybody else. I understand kids are all different. I get that. I've got enough kids to know that. But I'm just asking you humbly from one brother to another or to, from a brother to a sister, consider, I'm jealous for that. I want my children, I have my three-year-old watching me, crawling around me, because I want her to be acclimated to a, a sense of solemn, I should, let me just rephrase the word, sacredness. A sense of sacredness around what we're doing. And so I, I challenge you to think about that. Is that something? And let me just ask you, what do you think would be the cumulative effect of that? Speculate with me. What, what would be, I mean, do you remember when you were kids? Is that what your experience was? You know, so I, I, I kind of think it's a worthwhile thing to, to do in front of the children, uh, to have that. Any, any comments about that at all? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, your name? That's right. If it's not, I think it could be really and so what we're talking about is authenticity, right? That what we see at church is the same at home? Yeah, absolutely. Kids know that. There's no fooling them. They, like I said before, they know if it's a duty for dad or if it's a delight of, of dad. It, it, is, it is definitely clear on that and one. duty is different Yeah. Yeah. We're That's right. This morning it's because we're supposed to and we know it's good for us, not necessarily because we delight in it. Yes. But we're gonna do it. That's, that's right. That's very different. And that's still authentic. <clears throat> it is. And and it's also you know, is it gonna is it mean that the children are gonna understand everything that's said in the worship bar? Mm mm. Of course it's over their head. Right? But like when we have a baby or you have a newborn, you don't segment them away from anyone who speaks English. Right? Because just being around people speaking English, they're going to start catching some of what is being said and understanding formatively what is being talked about over the years. And so when you begin to allow them to be in God's presence with God's people and true worship is taking place, there is a learning that is happening there. And so uh, that, is, that is something that I, you could tell I feel a little strongly about, uh, but you know, it, it's true. So. I encourage you to just, I humbly encourage you to think about that. Um, then this leads me to my next point. And this goes to, what was your name again? Kari. 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 I think this goes right in line with what Kari said, that 
this leads to the second point, right relationships in the home. Love your neighbor as yourself. I was blown away, and I know this is embarrassing to admit, that I never thought of my children as my neighbors. I don't know why, but I just never did. I've gone to seminary, I've talked about things with a lot of people, and I just never made the connection that my children, just because they're little people, that they are still made in the image of God, they still bear His image, and they are my closest neighbor. And so, isn't it interesting and I don't believe it's an accident that in Deuteronomy 6 that, um, you know, uh, well, I should say actually um, uh, more so Mark 12 that we talked about after Deuteronomy 6. But the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Jesus says in, in, in uh, I think it's in Matthew chapter 7, that all the law hang like all the all the law of the uh, the law and the prophets hang on that command um, I don't I don't take that to mean that loving the Lord your God with all your heart soul and mind is not included in that but I, I believe that when we love our neighbor as ourself it is giving visible expression to our love that we have for God when we love one another when we love our children like Christ would want us to it is giving visible expression to our love for the Lord. People can't look at Rusty and say, oh, I see Rusty loves God. I can't see what Rusty does in his heart at home. I can't see what Rusty does uh, in his private quiet time. But when I see Rusty loving others, or Johan bringing meals to people when they're sick, I see Christ's love expressed by his love for others. And so I'm, I'm encouraged to say that, that we should think deeply about not just loving our spouses as our neighbor, but also our little people. Um, who is it, Dr. Seuss, that said that a person's a person no matter how small? Um, that is, that is a, a very true statement. Um, now that might sound surprising to you, that might sound just plain elementary, but I think many parents fail to consider that their children and spouses fall into this scriptural category, in this imperative of loving your neighbor. Um, what practical ways does loving your husband or wife or children pl play well or play in the evangelism? Let me rephrase it, I'm sorry. In what practical ways does loving your children as your neighbor help with the evangelism and discipleship of your children? That's huge, right? I, I think the question almost answers itself. In a lot of ways. Does anyone have any comments about that or thoughts about that? Any comments? Having my love for my kids help them. Yes. Yes. I think it's like perhaps the prime way you could model Christ for them. The yeah. character of Christ towards yeah. them is a winsome sure. way of revealing the character of Christ as you're. Yeah. I apologize that the question is not clear. Let me rephrase this. So let me say it this way. What about this though? When you're frustrated with your children and you just want to like just let them know what you really think and you're frustrated, God fix my kid. How does thinking of them as a neighbor reorient how you discipline them? 
Do you treat your coworkers like frustrated parents? Do you treat your fellow members of Delray like frustrated parents? No, you would never, hopefully, treat your coworkers, your boss, your fellow members of Delray like you would if you were a frustrated parent. I think it has radical implications for how you interact with your children. Right, Rusty? Yes. They, they're supposed to, but realizing that they also are submitting directly to God. Yeah. And so I'm supposed to steward that relationship with them. And that's kind of how we think of neighbors normally, and so that helps us organ. That's right. And I think implicit in this idea of children are our neighbors is also the idea that, guess what? Your children do not belong to you. They are a gift from God. They belong to Him. They are His and, and so when you realize that they are not only just your, that they are your neighbor, but that they belong to the Lord, I think that really recalibrates and reorients how we think about how we handle them. Much more with gentleness. Uh, let's, let's turn really quickly to um, Ezekiel uh, chapter 16 in support of this. Ezekiel 16.20. And in this passage, it's the Lord who's speaking throughout the passage. Can I get somebody to read that for me, please? Just 20. Um, let's start with... Um, Yeah, we can start with 20, and let's go down to 21. And you took your sons and your daughters, whom you have had born to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your horns so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as offspring by fire to them? Yeah, d- delivered them up as, off- uh, as an offering by fire offering to them. Fire. Yep, <clears throat> yep. So, so that's... To me, when I read that, I'm like, whoa. Um, that you bore them. He's speaking to Israel. You had borne them to me. I am their father, right? And then he, in verse 21, he says again, that you slaughtered my children. Not yours, my children. And, and when you think about that, that, that's quite an indictment of God. And so they belong to him. That should lend us to humility and, and like I said before, we are, we are not able to save our children. I think some practical applications in conclusion of, of what we've talked about here is that given everything we've talked about, children do not belong to us, that salvation is a sovereign process, parenting is a dependent process. What are some key takeaways application-wise that you can start kind of thinking about in your mind and in your heart what what, what do you see from this lesson that are key takeaways of how we should maybe rethink how we parent
we daily pray. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. As Spurgeon says, may we seldom bow the knee without praying for our children. Um, what else? I love that prayer. Prayer is huge. Saturating our parenting with prayer because it's we're dependent upon God. Absolutely. Anything else? Yeah. Not being, like not being afraid to go deep with children in the Lord and like sharing deep things about God. If we view them as image bearers, if we view them as humans, then we're not just viewing them as these lesser beings that can't handle deep things about the Lord. But yes. We're actually going deep with them. I think that's a really helpful application for them as image bearers. They they can still handle yeah. these deep things. About them. That's very true. Yeah. Anyone else? Hmm. Or even in a, in a some other image that we want them to be. Yeah. We're we're not crafting the final product. Yeah. We are we're simply providing like the soil for them to grow and being faithful to like provide all the gospel witness and all the Christ like modeling yeah. and all the the godly instruction and the love and care and faithfulness in the Lord yep. on our part. And and then it's up to the Lord how He wants to use them. Even if that takes them away from us, hmm. if that takes them far away yep. for His purposes, if that leads them to a, like to be people that we didn't envision them being in the first place, yeah. to work different jobs or have different responsibilities, different like ways of living than we would have designed, like yeah. to be in line with God's plan with what God says is right, then it's our job to make choice. That's right. That's right. Rusty. Yeah, so if, if we're to love God with all of our hearts, will and mind, we're supposed to model that relationship with our kids, that means we're not just giving them the final product. We're not just giving them what the rules are, what God says about how to do this, but we're showing them the whole spectrum of what a Christian life's like. We're yeah. showing them our motivation. We're showing how we arrive there, how yeah. we repent, how we engage in the whole yeah, especially the repentance part. Parents are going to make mistakes. Don't be afraid of being humble and asking for forgiveness from your children. Like these things are important. Like they, you're modeling repentance. You're modeling a dependence upon Christ for forgiveness. Like they need. Right? So don't be ashamed of those things. Like I ask, I ask forgiveness. I feel like every day for my kids. Cody, I just I think the natural tendencies, at least one of the natural tendencies, would be as we endeavor to raise our kids in fear and admonition of the Lord is pride. And so as we see other families, especially within the church, maybe at a different level or different struggling even, yeah. I think the natural tendency in our hearts might be to say, ah, well, why aren't you doing this? Yeah. I think just guarding from that and actually thinking through how you might be an encouragement to those families. Yeah. Not going up saying, pointing out sin, how can you actually pray for them and encourage them? Yeah. One application I think I've seen really done well Sure. the body, and I would only hope that it would be I think that's a huge point because as a church body, we need to help one another corporately in helping us do, go, stay on the right path and raising our children. It is, it is truly an effort that is done by the people of God. Um, 
I would also add really quickly some practical ways that we can do this is through, like I was just explaining with my daughter here, that like having those times in the morning, getting them in the habit of reading their Bibles in the morning or journaling, writing, writing out what they learn from God is a huge thing that I wish I would have started doing years, decades ago. Um, catechism is a wonderful thing. Uh, I, I go through catechism with my, my kids. Um, I don't do it as frequently as I need to. Um, we, we switch it up on occasion with different things. But one thing I think that's been the most helpful for my family is at, at dinner, when we're done with the dinner, we will sit down and we will go through a passage of scripture, even if it's just one verse. Even if it's just one verse, and we will explain it, talk about it, uh, pray over it. Um, it's just a time where everybody's together, it, uh, you know, right before bed, and, and it's just something that we try to do to connect every single day because our schedules, like Cody said, are pretty crazy and busy. Um, so there are a lot of practical applications of things we can implement, but without the love of, 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 I should say it this way, without loving God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and without really loving our children as our neighbors, I think there is, there is going to be a foundational underpinning that is missing through those external activities, right? So I'm trying to provide you the substance of how you parent well, and you can always add later different practices but the substance, the foundation, that passion, that has to be there. And it's hard, like Cody said, it's not every day you're going to feel that. Um, and God will give you those dry times in your life. But it's where in those times you still are pressing, pressing forward through what you know to be true in your mind, pressing forward past what you know to be true in your mind to actual action beyond words into experience. So let's press forward through words, through what we know to be true in our minds, and let's press past that into application in life. Because when we begin to experience it, then we begin to really, it becomes our own. And we are able to really exemplify a deeper passion and a deeper um, sort of intimacy with God. So brothers, sisters, I'm grateful for your, your time this morning. Um, that concludes our, uh, our, our time here. Any questions before I wrap things up or any comments? Yes? Just one quick comment. I just thank you. I appreciate this teaching today. It's just a reminder of that they're in God's hands. Sometimes I take too much burden sometimes as a mom and stay home from school. I got to do this, this, and this. And, you know, like parenting from a place that's stress free. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, yes. Yes, may God, may God continue to surround each of us with his grace because we know that we are not perfect uh, and that we are all imperfect parents.